We're going to be in Judges chapter 6, and we're going to look at a, a young man that has always been kind of an encouragement uh, for me to be able to read, and, and just a few things uh, about him, just it's, it's encouraging, it's uh, challenging, um, but the funny thing is, is uh, this young man is, is also uh, very relatable. Um, the funny thing about the Bible is it, it, holds, no, it holds back no punches. Um, it's, it's amazing the people that God has used throughout the Bible, and even with their shortcomings, God is able to do amazing things through these, uh, these lives. But we're going to be looking at a, a young man by the name of Gideon. And he's actually a very interesting uh, judge in the book of Judges. Because Gideon has actually a uh, hundred verses dedicated to his story. Which is more than any other judge in the Bible. When you actually read the, the Judges through the book of Judge. Gideon gets the largest slice of the pie. Gideon is the only judge that we see this personal struggle of faith and courage, really. When you read the other judges, it's just a a name that's mentioned in some crazy things that they've done. But the funny thing about Gideon is is when you actually read the book, uh, or you actually read his, his portion of Judges, you actually get to see the inner turmoil that he goes through as he does what God has called him to do. And he's in, he is a great encouragement to all those that you know struggle with doubt, those that are stressed and burdened, those that see themselves as never enough, and those that are pressured by others to do something other than what God wants them to do, wants well him for them to do. Judges chapter 6, 11 and 12 says this, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the uh, Abezerite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor that mighty man of valor. And what we're going to be looking at is the battle for valor. The battle for valor in all of our lives. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you used a a young man by the name of Gideon. A man that no doubt was frightened and scared and Lord, he, he obviously came up with 101 reasons why he couldn't do what it was that you called him to do. But I thank you for the fact that he found that one reason he should do it, and that's because you told him to. Lord, there's so much for us to glean from this young man. And Lord, I just pray that you use this time that we spend in your word. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing special, but Lord, I, I serve you. And you are what makes this special. You are what makes this an amazing thing to be part of. You are what makes church worth going to. Lord, I I just thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. So when you actually look at Gideon, there's a few things you have to realize. Israel was in dire straits at this time. 
the book of Judges was not a good time for the, the, for the Israelites. It was a, a tri, it was trial by I'm just trials and, and this constant back and forth where they would rebel against God and, and they would go a period uh, uh, going against what God had called them to do and, and finally God would, would chasten them by sending some, some uh, um, persecutor, someone to, to reign over them and then they would cry out to God and, and God would uh, bring them back out under a judge and they would go through this vicious cycle of, of, of just rejecting God and, and they really got themselves, and the first thing that we have to realize is the first thing off they got themselves in this mess they put themselves in this mess, God didn't encourage them to rebel God didn't tell them to rebel. They chose to rebel against God. Judges chapter 6 and 1 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian seven years. God delivered them because they rebelled. They turned their back against God. And every year during the harvest, the Midianites would come to Israel to pillage. Israelites would actually hide in caves, mountains, and strongholds at this time. They purposely furnished and built up a hiding place, not a plan B, but a cowardly hole to hide in. Could you imagine that? You, you actually stake out a little cave. This is my cave. So when the Midianites come, I abandon my home. I abandon what I have built to go to a furnished cave to hide. This Hebrew word is only found one time in all the Old Testament and it would be a hole of dubiousness. The Hebrew language literally defines it as a sense of a whole of cowardice. That's literally how God describes the place that they would hide. Not only did Israel get themselves in this mess, but they were, they were cowardly running away from the fight. The Midianites would gather together a coalition, an alliance with the enemies of Israel to pillage and destroy. It's amazing when some people that disagree with each other all band together just to come after you. And that's what the Hebrews were facing. The Midianites in their pose would destroy cattle, sheep, harvests, and Canaan as a whole. They would just leave destruction behind themselves. God describes Israel as impoverished, impoverished. And what a shame, for they were meant for so much greater. They were meant for so much greater. But they chose that life when they turned their back against God. But when we look at, at, the, at the life of Gideon, it's, it's really, there's multiple battles that we see him go through. And the first battle that Gideon has to face is the battle of cowardice. The battle of cowardice. One of the first things you realize about Gideon is that he comes off as a grade A scaredy cat. I mean, quality scaredy cat right there. Throughout the whole first chapter of this great story is full of doubt and questions. 
Judges chapter 6 and verse 13 to 16 says this, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he he just comes up with excuse after excuse after excuse. Well, I'm of the smallest tribe of Israel, and not only am I the smallest tribe of Israel, I'm the smallest family, and not only am I the smallest family of the smallest tribe, I'm the runt of the family, the smallest family of the smallest tribe of Israel that is, un, that is impoverished. And the funny thing is, is we find him hiding. Where did we find him hiding? We found him hiding in a wine press trying to thresh wheat, which doesn't really work. If you know anything about how they used to thresh wheat back in those times, they would actually be on a raised platform and they would beat the chaff and the wheat together. And what would happen is all the chaff, the shells of the kernels and the grain would come up and lift off with the wind because they're on an elevated platform and all the seed and grain would stay behind on a pile. Well, in a wine press, you're in a container. Well, you're away from the wind and he's hiding trying to get grain. I mean, he's really just uh, working double time to do something that would have been real simple. But he was, he was trying to get grain. He was trying to, to do that, and he was hiding from the Midianites. He was afraid to even thresh wheat, do the most bare minimum of the basic things in life in, in where everyone could see him. He looked so lowly of, him, of himself. Who? Me? Are you, are you talking to me? And it almost comes off as if Gideon hated himself almost. And we see that with a lot of people nowadays. A lot of people just, they, they, don't, they don't like who they are. I mean, my, my wife and I were talking about this just this morning. With all this, this nonsense that's going on with, with gender ideology and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's so sad to see these parents that will tell a, a little girl or a little boy, no, you're disgusting the way you are. You're not meant to be a little boy. You're not meant to be a little girl. And you shouldn't be happy with who you are. And our society is creating a lot of Gideons right now. And there's a lot of Christians that are Gideons. They hate who they are. Oh, I'm a, oh man, I, just, oh, I, can't, I can't stand this. The, hate, the world hates me and, and I, I don't like myself. We have too many, too many of those Gideons. Too many of those Gideon Christians. And in a sense, he was. It, it, he did have some, some hurdles to face. And he was the reject of the worst family of the smallest and, and most insignificant tribe of Israel. He, he was a coward. 
And his cowardice was a manifestation of his doubt in God. He first of all blamed God in verse 13. God, it's your fault that we're even in this mess. That's how he started this. That's how the conversation started. He, requ- uh, he requires a, 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 a miracle and a sign from God. He makes, he makes God work double time to prove himself to Gideon when it shouldn't be the other way around. And of course he receives, and that was uh, verse 17 to 21 where he, he actually requires a miracle, a sign from God. It wasn't enough that God told him that he needed to do something. He required, well, if, if you really mean that God, go ahead and prove it to me. In verses 22 to 27, he receives a vision from God and accomplishes this task at night because he feared his father and the men of the city he lived in. How sad that he was afraid, even though he did the task God, uh, that, God, uh, that God had told him to do, Gideon was afraid of those men and chose to tear down Baal's altar at night even though it did not conceal their identity. I, that was the funny thing about the situation. God tells them to, to tear down the, their, uh, their father's altars to Baal. He says, well, I'm, okay, well, I'm going to do that at night so no one can see who, who it is that does it. Well, he does it and they still figure out, no, it was Gideon. Verses 28 to 33, he is delivered. And you can see God delaying any harm to him while Midian and its coalitions were gathering. God protected him. And the Spirit of God comes upon Gideon. He begins to gather an army out of nowhere. It wasn't like he had the, the, um, uh, the reserves to call on. He all of a sudden had to come up with that army to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And after all of this, Gideon still has to have God repeat himself and make more promises with yet another miracle. Verses 36 to 40. God takes him through all of this. And Gideon still says, "Well, can you can you I, can you still kind of prove that? I mean, I, I'm I'm still a little nervous, and, and I'm still not sure. Even though God had done a miracle after a miracle after a miracle after a miracle, and sadly, too many people choose not to take God by His word, and they ask simple questions that hold them back. Does God know what He's doing?" They wonder, will God take care of me? They question. And does God keep his promises? And he does. And the funny thing is, is Gideon's not the only servant of God we see throughout the Bible that struggles with these kind of things. But all of them were a little different, weren't they? They were all called to do something amazing, miraculous. But while Gideon questioned, 
required a miracle and still wondered if God was going to follow through, Joshua didn't need more than and Joshua didn't need more from God to trust him. God told Joshua, do this, be courageous. And what did Joshua do? Oh man, he, he stepped up. He didn't require anything from God. Did Daniel and the three Hebrew children need more signs from God to not eat of the king's meat or his cup? No. Everything was telling them to bow down. But yet, all they needed was one commandment from God, from his word, to stand. And they weren't careful. They weren't careful. They were blunt. Did Stephen need another sign from God as he was stoned to death, as he was preaching and forgave them? Did Paul and Silas need another sign from God as he seemed like everything like seemed like everything was going wrong in their first missionary journey? You read the, the different missionary journeys of, of, of Paul, and the very first missionary journey seems like just one just failure after another. The first missionary journey was discouraging, no doubt. But after every single hurdle that Paul and Silas went and came up across, they kept going. Sadly, Gideon, like many Christians, need a sign from God to live a holy, separated, God-fearing, Bible-reading, prayer closet, and righteous-filled life. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God doesn't give us that heart, that that mindset of fear, worry, and doubt, that comes from us. That comes from the devil. That comes from the world. But the amazing thing is, is we can have that mind of power, that heart of love, and that sound mind. Don't doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. That's what I've always was told when I was in Bible college, and it's true. Hold on to what you know is true. I, I remember when I was in Bible college, I was actually the, the supervisor of security. There was, there was one, there was actually a staff member that was above me and he was a permanent uh, staff member and everything. But I was, I was in charge of, of a group of, I think it would range anywhere from like 18 to 30 something students that would be security guards for this whole massive campus. And it was funny because when I first started doing rounds and working for security in the first place, it was kind of awkward when you're walking through all those, those. It's a little creepy, but it's a little awkward walking through all those hallways with all the lights are off. You don't have any light. You're, you're straining. You've got a flashlight. But the funny thing is, is I, I figured out if, if I walk through those buildings frequently while the lights are on during the day and I get familiar with it, when I walk through it at night, I, I don't have to worry where I'm going. It's, it's, it's a muscle memory. And the amazing thing is, is if you're willing to, to practice and, and have a relationship with God and, and do all these things while it's easy, it makes it a lot easier when it's difficult. 
Because when you finally wait until things get difficult to try doing what God wants you to do, you're not going to do it. Do what God has called you to do, even in the small things right now, while things are easy. So we had, Gideon had this battle through cowardice. After he got through that battle and found that victory, he had the battle through circumstances he had to face. Finally, Gideon had given it to God and was willing to follow his lead and promises and, and pro- his, his lead in his promises. But now that he was willing to live by faith, he was going to have his faith tested. John Greenleaf, Green, Greenleaf said this, Nothing before, nothing behind. The steps of faith fall on the seeming void and find the rock beneath. Judges chapter 7, 1 through 8 says this, Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, and the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, and the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down on their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midians into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Talk about a weird situation right there. I mean, just straight out, Gideon is on fire in this chapter. He tells those that are afraid to leave. Are you, if you're afraid and you doubt, just leave. Just go. Just, just go back home. He's not trying to uh, just encourage them. No, don't leave. Fight for your country. Fight for God. No, no. He says, if you're a little afraid, yeah, yeah, don't worry. Just leave. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. I mean, good night. How many battles have been won starting with a rousing, uh, encouraging speech like that? He tells those that are not observant to go home. Those that will put their guard down and and actually drink from the water like a dog. They had to put their their guard down to do so. And he says, those that are are just not cut to make it, leave. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. 
and he's left with 300 prepared for the journey and prepared for the battle. Gideon's victory was not found in his wit, but God's promise to provide and protect. He receives a tip from a dream. The Lord guides him through one of the greatest tactics we have ever seen. And it wasn't a divide and conquer kind of situation, but divide and confuse. I don't know if you remember and those that aren't familiar with the story, but Gideon takes those 300 men and takes them around and they put lamps inside pitchers and they all wait with their trumpets. And in the middle of the night, they lay out their trumpets, scaring those, the Midianites, catching them off guard, and they all break a pitcher. And the funny thing is, is they didn't have to raise a sword. They didn't. Because the Midians all look around and they think, oh my goodness, every single one of those lights we see is a thousand men. There's, there's got to be 300,000 men out there ready to kill us. And it was only 300 men with a pitcher, a light, and a trumpet. And Gideon is probably just wondering how it's going to work out when it first, when it first starts going down. He, he sees those men kind of work their way around. And he's, he's probably just, he probably has a little bit of doubt still. And he's like, no, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust him. And they do their thing. And I bet he was just, just baffled. I bet he was just baffled. As he goes down and the Midianites start killing each other out of the confusion. You, you can't, you can't come up with that. It's crazy. But it's amazing to see what God will do when you're willing to trust him, to follow him. And the funny thing is, is faith is commonly associated with, with blindness in a sense. And sadly, we have bought into this misleading narrative in Christianity. To have faith doesn't mean you're blind. It doesn't. James 1.6 says, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Mark 9.23 says, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Nowhere in there, nowhere in the Bible, do I ever see an association that faith, having faith equals blindness. This, this aspect of blind faith is something we've bought into. And it's not true. We can see clearly. We can see God's word. And that's what our faith lies in. We're challenged to step out on uh, in faith, but faith requires some unknown element to it. If the Bible in my life uh, has taught me anything about faith, the only way we grow in faith is by being stretched and relying on the promises of God. Faith requires a storm. Faith requires a void. Faith requires a burden with no cure. Faith requires pain. And faith requires the dark. It truly does. 
R.A. Torrey said this, If we are to have real faith, we must study the word of God and discover what is promised. Then we must simply believe the promises of God. Trying to believe something you want to believe is not faith. Believing what God says in his word is faith. Gideon had to fight through the battle of cowardice. Gideon had to fight through the battle of circumstances. But the last thing that Gideon had to battle was a battle through compromise. Sadly, while the previous chapter covers Gideon winning the war, this chapter covers Gideon losing the victory. He had the victory in his grasp and then wasted the opportunity that he had been given. The judges, and in fact, when you study it, the the judges were meant to deliver and lead. They were told to take the Israelites out of the burden that they faced and to guide and lead them. But the interesting thing that happens with Gideon is he doesn't doesn't follow through. He doesn't follow through. He He takes them out of the Midianites. He takes them away and drives the Midianites away. He gets rid of that burden, but when it comes time for him to lead Israel, he turns his back on them. Judges 8.4 says, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing. I love this verse. I love this verse. I've, I've had to claim this verse right here so many times. I mean, I was in Bible college, full-time college. Um, I was full-time the supervisor of security, and I also had day jobs. I think I averaged about three to four hours. No, it was actually two, three hours a day. I was sleeping. I was, I understood what was being said here. Faint yet pursuing. Gideon and his men were still pursuing their targets for days running without stopping. Gideon at this point was tenacious in getting the job done. Sadly, it would cost him. Even though he was abandoned and rejected, he returned suit. He would further divide the wedge between him and other tribes. And when he was called on to finish the job, he didn't do it. Judges chapter 8, 21 to 24. Then Zebiah and uh, Zalmunna said, Rise thou and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Zebiah. Oh man, excuse me, Zibiah and Zalmuna, and took away the ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's sons also. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you that ye, uh, ye would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Gideon would miss the point. He, yes, drove out the Midianites. 
He did not lead them back into good standing with God. The judges were not only supposed to drive out those uh, chastising Israel, but they were supposed to lead the nation into peace. And Gideon was like, I'm good. Thanks, though. Gideon was more concerned of getting the spoils of victories, uh, the victories uh, from life, but not the responsibility of one. He took the gold and he took women and did nothing else. When God introduced himself to Gideon, he addressed him as a man of valor because that is what God had desired for Gideon. He had the potential not because Gideon was great, but because God chose him to do this great thing. How sad. Gideon was a coward when we first start this whole story. Gideon was a coward and finally owned up to finally became courageous, finally became a man of valor. And he leads the Israelites in one of the greatest battles in all of time. And then after that, he pursues the kings for days on end without stopping. Faint, yet pursuing And when the day finally came for him to to fulfill everything that God had called him to do, he compromised. He said, well, you know, I did this, that, um, no, I'm good, I'm good. Thanks, though, I'm good. I'll go ahead and take gold, though. I'll take the spoils. And then if you read through this, you'll actually realize he ended up taking a whole bunch of wives. He went from being the runt of the smallest family, of the most insignificant tribe, of a beat-up Israel. And he just, he took the spoils and that was it. And I wonder where we are. I wonder if we're in those early stages to where maybe we're, we're, maybe we're being coward. Maybe we're being a coward. Maybe we're being, uh, letting doubt have victory over us. And we know that God is leading us to do something, but we're just too scared to step out in faith. Maybe we've gotten that strength and, and, and we've, we've found that uh, faith to do what God has called us to and we're facing that ba- battle of, of, of circumstances. And maybe we're, we're kind of losing that battle. Maybe you've found the victory in that battle, but don't be like Gideon and letting that battle of compromise take victory over you. Follow through with what God has called you to do, what God has led you to do. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I can tell you this. God has called you to be like Christ. Everyone that has ever accepted Christ as their Savior and held nothing back, every single person has been called to be like Christ. That's how God designed it. 
Romans 8.32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, whom shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Where are we today? Are we in that battle against cowardice? Are we in that battle through circumstances? Are we fighting off that battle of compromise? That last battle is something we're going to face for the rest of our lives. Don't give in. Don't don't stop pursuing. We may want to faint at times and it may get tough. But don't give in. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for what you've done for us today. 